A long time ago, there was a Greek poet who told a parable, a parable about a fox and a hedgehog. I didn't know what a hedgehog was, and so I had to Google it, and I found out that a, a hedgehog, while uh, it is not a porcupine, it is very much like a porcupine. Instead of having quills, it has uh, what they call a spine, sharp spines, and it's very slow and very plodding. And, and so this Greek poet told a parable about the fox and the hedgehog, and in the parable, the fox wants to capture the hedgehog, presumably for a meal. And, and the fox is fast, the fox is agile, the fox is cunning, but his attempt to capture the hedgehog always ends the same way. It ends with his nose getting pricked and him kind of scampering away, uh, defeated yet again. And then his uh, parable ends with this statement, the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. Uh, if you are involved in the, the world of business or the world of leadership, there's a really good chance that you have heard this parable because it has resurfaced in recent years in a lot of leadership material. And, and what is asserted is that organizations, successful organizations, are like the hedgehog. They... they uh, are able to reduce why they exist, what is their purpose, what is their mission, what are they designed to do, to just one very clear statement. Simplicity reigns in the, the, the world of business. So this is true in business. It is true for us as a church. We, in a world that is becoming increasingly complex, we have to have clarity about these, these fundamental questions. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? What is our mission? What is it that God has designed us to do well? And as you look through the scriptures to find the answers to those fundamental questions, there is one word that bubbles to the surface over and over and over again. And if you've been here in recent works, you know what the word is. Anyone wanna take a guess? Oh, come on. What? Rescue, thank you. Rescue. Dang. Why do we exist? Rescue. What's our purpose? What's our mission? Rescue. What did God design the church to do and to do well? Rescue. From its inception. Christianity is the world's greatest rec rescue operation that, that there is. There is no greater rescue operation than Christianity. There is no great, greater rescue organization than the church. Jesus knew this. And so right before he ascended, after he rose from the dead, spent a, a little time with the disciples, he's just about to ascend, he gives one last instruction. Now, everything that, that Jesus said, obviously, is weighty. But this final instruction is his most important instru instruction. 
In fact, I, I might even say that all scripture is inspired by God, but all scripture doesn't carry the same weight. This final instruction, it carries a tremendous amount of weight. Of all the things that he could have chosen to reiterate, like, remember this, don't forget this, he chose to reiterate one thing, and we could boil it down to rescue. So we are going to look at that those final instructions from all four Gospels. We're going to spend the most time in Matthew, and then we're going to quickly skip through Mark, Luke, and John to see if what I'm saying is, is really true. Is, it, is the church's mission, why we exist, is it really rescue? Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father God, we pray that you would give us clarity about who you are, about who we are, and about what you've called us as a church to be about. And I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start in Matthew, and we'll go right to the end of the gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So at first glance, we might not read those words as a command to rescue. But if we look closer, I think we're going to see it's all entirely about rescue. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth is mine. By virtue of his creatorship, by virtue, virtue of his authorship, all authority is rightfully his. The fact that the world is in the state that it is in, the fact that, that we, the human race, is in the state that it is in, is because we have rebelled against his rightful authority. We have decided, no, I don't want to submit to your rightful authority, God. I want to be my own authority. I want to do life on my terms. And the result of that has been all of the destruction and devastation that, that we experience on a daily basis. That rebellion, we know from Scripture, actually began in heaven. It actually began, it even predates the, the human race. So God had a... a his heavenly host that he had created. He had all of these angels. And one of his chief angels, Lucifer, decided, I don't want to submit to God's rightful authority. I want to rebel. And Lucifer enlisted a third of the heavenly host who joined in this rebellion against God's authority. God cast them out of heaven. Today we understand those former angels to be demons. And we understand that Satan, Lucifer, is the, the chief demon. These demons now and Satan, they are like the hedgehog. 
They have a mission. They have a reason for existence, and they are crystal clear about what it is. They exist to incite rebellion in the human race. They are trying to get to enlist all of us to join them in this rebellion against God because they know the devastation that will follow. Is it because Satan and the, the demons hate the human race? I think that's, that's part of the story. But I think the, the greater story is that they hate God. They hate God. And they know the depth of God's love for humanity. I believe that when God created man in his image, he had already created the angelic beings. They were there. They heard God's heart sing when the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. They know that, that humanity is the object of God's affection. And so what better way is there to strike at the heart of God than there is to strike at the object of his affection. And so Satan and his demonic forces are laser focused on their mission of inciting rebellion, rejoicing in the destruction, rejoicing in the devastation that follows. And they are so laser focused on this mission that there is not a single one of us who has escaped their attack. Every single one of us, they've incited to take a bite of the poison apple. And so this venom of rebellion, this venom of sin flows in all of us. And what follows is darkness and destruction and devastation and ultimately death. This is the state of, of, of humanity, but God. But God sent into this world an antidote, an antidote to the poison. And the person is his son, Jesus Christ. And so what did Satan do? Satan marshaled all of his forces to attack Jesus and to incite Jesus to join in the rebellion, to incite Jesus to, to turn against the Father and his rightful authority. But unlike us, Jesus didn't bite. Jesus didn't bite, and so Satan pivoted. I can't get him to join us in rebellion, so I'm going to incite his crucifixion. And so Jesus is killed. Satan thinks it is his greatest moment of victory. Unbeknownst to him, it is his defeat. He has been defeated. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, and now the scripture says anybody who looks to Jesus... Anybody who puts their hope in Jesus will be rescued, will be saved. He is the anti-venom. He is the, the antidote to the problem that courses through all of us. For the antidote to work, it has to be distributed. It does no good locked up in the vaults of our church buildings. It's got to get out. And so Jesus said, as Matthew recorded, therefore, all authority is mine. Everyone's rebelled. The world has gotten itself in a fix. Therefore, go. Go. It is the operative verb. It establishes our orientation as a church 
to be outward looking. The great reformer Martin Luther once said it this way. He said, every single Christian must go through two conversions. The first conversion, they have to be saved out of the world. But there's a second conversion that we all have to go through, and that is to be sent back into the world. And too many of us are in danger of stalling between conversions. Rejoicing and enjoying our salvation, but rejecting our mission. There's another conversion for us. It is the ultimate act, if you think about it, of selfishness. I've got my antidote. I've got the anti-venom. I've been rescued. That's all that matters. Jesus said, no. Go. Fundamentally, we are a people who go. Well, what do we do? We go and we make disciples of Jesus. And so it is not a, a prescription drug that we peddle. It's not a, a special diet. It's not a money management system that if people would just follow, their lives would be so much better. It's not a, a political solution that we bring that if everyone would just get on board, it would eradicate the poison in the world. It's not the latest, greatest self-help program. It's not even a moral imperative we don't go with a moral imperative that says, if you just do this, then, then we're going to be able to eradicate the poison. There is no moral striving that is going to fix the dilemma that we're all in. And so what do we do? We go and we offer a person. A person. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, our Savior, our Lord, and our hope. That is what we have to offer. And it's enough. So we go and we make disciples of Jesus and it says, baptize. Baptize them in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our baptism is ultimately not a sign of, of what we are doing for God, but it is a sign of what God has done, has accomplished for us. He is the God who washes us clean. He's the God who forgives our sins. He makes us a new creation. He takes us as rebels and turns us into sons and daughters. He is the antidote, and there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Baptize them. Teach them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Prior to Jesus' arrival uh, in the Jewish system, obedience had become very, very complex. 613 laws, 365 of them were, were negative laws, one for every day of, of the week. The others were positive laws. It was a lot to remember. And so Jesus comes and he adopts the, the hedgehog principle. He boils all of it down into this. Love God. With every fiber of your being, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we are to teach. Love God 
love your neighbor. Conceptually, there is nothing complex about that. The, a lot of the Pharisees tried to make it complex. Well, who exactly is our neighbor? But Jesus wasn't having that. Everybody is your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. And then finally, Jesus said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, we lack nothing. We lack nothing that we need for the mission that God has given us. Jesus is not sending any of us out shorthanded. He's not sending us out ill-equipped for the task that is at hand. He is with us. So this is Matthew's account. These are Jesus' final words that I would say some of the most weighty words that he ever spoke. So how about Mark's account? Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Jesus appeared to the eleven. As they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, after he had risen, he said to them, I'm deliberately not advancing the slide. What do you think is the first word? He said to them, go. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Do you hear what's at stake? Whoever believes will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. God doesn't condemn us to, to hell. He's not the one who's like sitting up there and saying, I'm going to send you to hell. We have all rebelled. God has offered salvation. He's offered a rescue. He's offered the antidote. If we choose not to take it, we're making our choice. We're, we're under condemnation by nobody's choosing but our own. How about Luke's account? Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Jesus opened the disciples' minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. And then Luke continues his sequel, Acts, and he begins the same way. He's saying in Luke, stay in the city, wait for, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts begins with, with the command, be my witnesses, and the Holy Spirit comes. We are called to, to be witnesses because we have witnessed. If you've experienced rescue, you have a story to, to tell. You have a, a, a testimony to, to share. He said, you are my witnesses, now, now be my witnesses, and, and know that you go in the power of the Holy Spirit. This all means that we ought not be a people who routinely plead the fifth, that, that choose to, to, to go silent. No, God's word says, give a reason for the hope that is in you. Like, 
speak it. This is, this is what is my hope. This is my foundation. This is what m- has rescued me. This is what gives me joy, even when things around me are, are crumbling. We're not our own. We've been clothed with power from on high. It's just, we can read past that so, so quickly. We have been clothed with power from on high. You, you have been clothed with power from on high. It's not a matter of whether you have the Holy Spirit. It is in you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been clothed with power from on high. You have everything you need for the mission that God has given you. I mean, if you think about it, the early church that we read about in Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit is just about all it had going for it. Compared to to us today, no buildings, no budget, no staff, very few members, and yet they knew we have been clothed with power from on high. And they went out with a mission to rescue and God changed the world. And he began with just a handful of people. Today here in this sanctuary, we are more than than the people that God began to, to build his church. So how about John's account? I I am not going to the very last chapter. The last chapter in John is a conversation with Peter. Remember, Peter has uh, has, uh, denied Jesus three times and needs restoring. And so that's how John's gospel ends with Jesus restoring Peter. But, But right before that, when Jesus is speaking to all of the disciples, chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any one of his sins, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. God sent Jesus with a clear mandate. It was, if there was ever a hedgehog principle, this was it. I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus knew what he was about. And then right before Jesus ascends, he turns to his disciples and gives the exact same mandate. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. It's all about rescue. So uh, an observation. Rescue's not easy. And if you have... um, been involved in trying to be used by God and and love people and share Christ with them and and see transformation and people come to faith, it is not easy. And and we are living in a world in which I think it's becoming more difficult, at least in in our culture, in our country. And so this is what I I have seen from where I sit. I think what the church has done is we have gone out to try and rescue and then we've bumped up against some obstacles and it's been hard, a lot harder than any of us expected. And then we have signaled, we've sounded the trumpet, retreat. Retreat, retreat back into what we know, what we're comfortable with, what we do well. And what is that? Preaching, 
teaching, singing, worship, do another Bible study, dig ever deeper into the scripture to try and mine more pearls of wisdom out of it. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that, and I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job by any means. Uh, I love preaching and I love teaching, but, but it seems like, like we've stopped short of, of what God has really called us to be about. It's like we've settled in that, that space between our first conversion and our second conversion. We've been saved out of the world, and now we want to grow. We want to become mature, more mature, more mature. And so we get together, and, and it's all about helping the people who are already saved, edifying those who are already saved so we can get deeper and deeper and deeper, and yet there's a second conversion that we're missing. And it's the conversion that makes everything else come together. All of that makes sense when it's tied to the mission of go. If we're not going, figuratively speaking, we're just getting fat. We're just getting fat on, on Bible study and on sermons and knowledge. It's not, it's not the end. It is a means to end. God is equipping us so that we can go. And, and I feel like we've experienced it to, to some extent here at Crossview. Uh, a couple years ago, we wanted to be more intentional about rescue and so we came up with this idea of encouraging everybody to have one person that they were investing in, one person that they're praying for, one person who doesn't know Jesus and they're seeking to share Christ with, and we engaged that for a, a couple of months. And when we'd get together in different meetings, we'd check in with one another, how's it going with your one, and we'd pray, and, but what we all found, and I had so many conversations, what we all found is this is not easy. This is not easy. And it takes time, and that's okay, but, but what we did, what I did, stop promoting it. Stop encouraging it. Stop asking, how's it going with your one? Because that's hard. And so we retreat to what we do well. Well, let's do another sermon sing some songs and maybe sing them with a little extra gusto, a little more energy. When we say, what does a hospital do? We know the answer. What does a grocery store do? We know the answer. What, what does a fire department do? What does a, a car dealership? But then we say, what does a church do? And suddenly our mind goes blank. Well, there's, there's a thousand things we do. All of those are good things, but really there, there's one thing. Love God, love people, go, go. So today we have the opportunity to come to the table. And at the table, we, we see a sign of rescue. I mean, it is there right in front of us. God was so determined to rescue this world that is mired in rebellion that he sent his one and only son to become one of us. Jesus humbled himself even to death on a cross. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. He is the anti-venom. He is the antidote to the poison that has infected us all. He is the bread of life. 
And so this morning we come to the table to receive, but then we're going to leave the table. And we leave the table as those who are sent. We come to receive, and then we, we leave as those who have been given a, a most critical mission, go. Go in my name, go in the power of the Holy Spirit.